This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontier show number 52, recorded on February 5th, 2019. Here in Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, we'd love to have you contact us. You can send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv. To be honest with you, the brains of the operation are across from me. You can send him an email, christian at theaverageguy.tv. Track me down on Twitter, uh, at Jay Collison, and uh, Christian is just at Borg Whisperer, just like it sounds. TheAverageGuy.tv, powered by Maple Grove Partners, web hosting, get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. Again, that guy. For more information, visit MapleGrovePartners.com. Uh, great for podcasting, by the way. If you're a podcaster and you're listening to this, Christian has plans for 10 bucks. They do it all. It's just everything you need to be a great podcaster, including the WordPress help. So check it out, MapleGrovePartners.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, it would be a good time to do that because we're so sporadic with this that we never really know when we're going to get an episode out. If you subscribe to it, it'll just show up in your podcast player and you'll never miss an episode. Do that right now. Just pause it for a second. Well, if you're pausing it, you're probably listening to it that way. But get out there, get it subscribed, get it done. Christian is back. It's been a while, Christian. I think the last time we did this was November of 2018. Good to catch yeah. up with you. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. We had that nice uh, cadence there for a few shows. I was getting really excited. We were on the long-term cadence hall, and then, you know, life happens. But uh, Well, speaking of life happening, what really happened is your job. Yeah. And, uh, you got some things you can update us on with that. What? Why? Why were you gone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I became a pumpkin to get ready for the, uh, the big ritualistic event. Uh, known as AWS reInvent. So uh, I'll uh, share a couple of thoughts from tonight as a uh, personal individual, not on behalf of my employer representing any of their opinions or viewpoints. But um, as an individual, uh, I've been spending uh, a fair, fair amount of Q4 for me was spent uh, developing a really new and innovative service that uh, we launched as preview um, at reInvent called uh, Amazon Ground Station. So this allows you to seamlessly downlink data um, from space directly into your cloud environment. Um, so uh, I like to think very um, futuristic about these things. And uh, I, I imagine that our customers will inform us over um, a very short period of time how they want to adapt and use these technologies. But essentially, um, what Amazon has created is, is a pay-as-you-go model um, for using ground station equipment to seamlessly communicate with um, space, which, let me iterate, is a big deal. Um, why is it a big deal? Um Typically, to get in that kind of market, to be able to talk to satellites, you're talking owning millions of dollars worth of ground station equipment, even to talk to some of the smaller CubeSat or low Earth orbit um, satellites. And so what we're offering is a pay-as-you-go model where Amazon is orchestrating and automating all the things that you need in order to use a ground station. So um, really exciting um, to think that as a college student maybe um, that I will have the opportunity at some point to pay AWS five bucks to download original research data you know from a public um, maybe a NASA satellite or NOAA satellite and get that data directly into my cloud environment 
uh, at the reInvent conference, uh, Andy Jassy gave the keynote. Uh, definitely go check out that keynote and learn more about what we did there. Um, one of the really uh, cool partnerships we did with Ground Station was with a company known as Digital Globe. They have a lot of really cool uh, spacecraft and satellite technology. And so they did a proof of concept as part of this and really stunning results that um, from the time they tasked their satellite, the time the data arrived into their uh, S3 bucket, Amazon simple storage service uh, was 55 seconds. So literally in under a minute, data live from space available in your cloud environment. So we've really redefined cloud as being uh, on this planet to being a uh, interplanetary cloud in a way we are no longer just on uh, the, the geopolitical orbit in 23 regions, but now we have this region called space. Um, so really kind of exciting stuff. And um, most of my time and uh, engineering thought and brain power went to uh, how do we make satellites accessible to the masses and so really looking forward to seeing what use cases come out of it and how our customers uh use the technology on their on one of their websites there as they talk about use cases they talk about natural disasters accurate weather data predictions business, business trend assessments is that kind of i mean in in some ways is this still kind of an mvp from a like hey let's get some things out there and see what the public or see what industry comes up with to use? Or were there some very specific examples of things that were ready to go day one? Of course, you can talk about ready to go day one where, where folks could begin to use that. Sure. So at the launch of um, at reInvent, we launched the service as what's called an AWS preview. Um, in, in preview, it's kind of like a uh, hey, coming soon, but we allow customers to um, onboard with onboard with us during that preview to learn more about how the service works um, and really get to interact with it and see how it can provide solutions in their own environment. So um, the service will be launching in general availability later in 2019. Um, and so today's offering and preview, there are two um, fully managed ground station sites available. Um, and by the time they get to um, general availability, there will be 12 major sites all around the world. And so that will um, give the full coverage of all the different points of view, elevation and, and perspectives of um, getting as many swaths possible of seeing your uh, spacecraft at different places around the world. So in terms of having a unified way to leverage the service um, between that preview experience, which is available today, and that larger general availability, you'll see an increase in the number of ground stations that are available for you to task and um, use your satellite equipment. Christian, is the idea that you may be able to get access to data from and to places that you traditionally couldn't get that data to via the internet? So, because I think sometimes I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why, why satellite? For most people, that's a slower uplink and downlink than their current internet, some of those kinds of things. And people are like, oh, great. So now I can task satellites. I don't really, you know, I don't really know. But is the idea to be able to get data from places or data to places that traditional internet wouldn't serve? Sure. So if I understand your question correctly, I think it's it's really around like, 
what is the value of yeah. having access to this type of data? And so um, for many companies, like let's just take the CubeSats, for example, these are um, typically much smaller um, satellite equipment that maybe many CubeSats get launched in one set of, in one payload or a set of launches, right? So you have everything from your kind of small and quote unquote inexpensive um, satellites all the way up to your, you know, big top of the line satellites that do GPS or telecommunications, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the value here is really that before or traditionally, you know, each one of these companies has to maintain the protocols and the ground station equipment in order to operate those. So from one, from one piece and one perspective, um, now companies can get involved in space without having to factor in building and running their own ground station equipment, which is a huge cost and barrier to entry into the space market. Um, the second major thing is that we want converged data availability. And what I mean by that is we want the data to be quickly and rapidly available um, for customers such that they can apply different services on top of that data immediately. So one of the big problems when we talk about like the speed at which we receive the data or where we receive the data from and to going and transiting over the internet, we want the data to be readily available in AWS's cloud environments so that you can leverage all the different services that are available to analyze and make data products out of that. So whether it's using machine learning on top of your data sets or streaming some of that data through your EC2 instances, there's a lot of different use cases of how um, these satellites transcode or receive their raw data and then how that actually gets translated into the things that humans look at. Um, and so by having the power of the cloud at your disposal to do all that compute, you're no longer having to reconstruct the compute environment that deals with receiving the imagery or the raw data or the telemetry, paying for hardware to analyze, process, and dis disseminate that data. So we're really providing an end-to-end -end experience from once that thing is up in the sky, it's almost like a, I like to call it a uh, kind of a remote attachment to your cloud, right? It's very much like um, if you've ever used Amazon's Deep Lens service, they have a, a separate hardware device that um, connects in a, in a way to your cloud account, right? So I kind of like to think of it as this separate hardware device. Now it's just an abstraction I'm coming up with, but um, yeah, there's a lot of benefits when you can kind of rapidly, quickly, and cheaply um, send and receive that data very quickly. Um, and it enables, you, it enables a lot of new use cases for folks who don't have the level of investment to get all the way up, but also for really big companies like for, um, and you'll learn more about this if you go and watch uh, Andy's keynote is that, you know, Digital Globe is obviously on the opposite end of that spectrum. They're a massive enterprise um, company in satellites and space. And for them, um, it will be about creating that larger global presence of having additional tasking time on ground stations, right? So they might have their own, but now they can use AWS to augment their total capabilities and how many different 
um, satellites they can talk to at the same time or now have a larger radius where there's more opportunities for them to get what they call a pass. And a pass is just a range of visibility that the ground station will have to the satellite in order to receive data or talk to it. And so um, there's a lot of different use cases for everyone here. And I think it'll be very interesting to see, like I said, um, our customers are going to have a lot to say, I think, about how the service is going to play into their larger cloud ecosystem. So maybe a small, now when I say small, you know, we've been purchasing HelloFresh in a smaller company that may not have its own satellite services, right? When we think about the polar vortex that we just had come through the United States, right? Very quick, very fast moving. Their whole service dependency is upon knowing where they can deliver things to and how things are going to work. They would not traditionally have their own satellite services, right? So they could, in some sense, purchase the data or be able to get the data ground station access to satellites to get the information on maybe how weather is changing uh, throughout their delivery areas. Very, very specific. And then I think, right, they, there's some there's some cloud processing, like Amazon is also offering some cloud services pieces with this data, right? So they may be able to help in the, in, in you know, kind of going through and saying, hey, if you're going to, because, you know, think about this, HelloFresh is packing these boxes with fresh food. And you want to make sure it you're not shipping it into negative sixty degree weather, yeah, right. That's going to sit on a truck somewhere, right. and so there there could even be some real time processing of, hey, let's hold that truck in Kansas City because if we send it off to Chicago, it's going to freeze, and then all that food in there is going to perish. Right. And those are real time decisions, right? Typically, a company like HelloFresh, and I'm not saying they are. I'm just using them because I, and I have no inside information yeah. at HelloFresh. Yeah. It's just a great example of a company where they may not be able to afford their own satellite infrastructure, right, to be able to get that kind of data or have, like you say, have their own ground stations to access that. And so they can, they, they can, this is more of a question, they could purchase those services using Amazon cloud services and make all that work in theory, right? That could, that could be a use case, maybe something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that you call out is this kind of um, ability to augment real-time decision-making, right? And you talked about the natural disaster um, use case. That's a really great use case that kind of calls out, you know, we maybe get a anywhere, you know, when you think about a hurricane happening, right? We start to track those maybe a couple weeks out, but the picture really doesn't start to take shape until maybe 48 hours before, um, and so we start tracking these and there's weather models. And then after that, we're looking at um, recovering humans, making sure that people are safe, right? And a lot of that is real-time data and decision-making. And um, today, federal agencies, um, you know, um, uh, FEMA um, predominantly is largely responsible for making a lot of those real-time decisions that impact where people move to avoid natural disasters. So um, the types of use cases that rely on real-time data definitely uh, are far and wide with this type of technology. I use that uh, HelloFresh instance because we had, during the snow, we had two snow events on two weekends that delayed our shipment twice. Um, And Box was was put together, shipped, got stuck both times in Kansas City and sat on a truck for three extra days before it it, it got to us through uh, via FedEx. And so it, it, it just got me kind of thinking like, okay, how could we be knowing it's a fresh, it's freshly packed and it's a fresh box that also has heat and 
cold have negative effects on that. You kind of want to keep that at a kind of a, you want it cold, but you don't want it too cold. Like you don't want your, you got fresh food in there that that's vegetables and things like that. You don't want frozen. Yeah, It's a very complex problem to be able to get that from where it's manufactured. The box is put together. There's two, you know, there's two sections and it's insulated and it's got ice in the bottom and they're putting the meat in it, then a protective layer. And then they put the vegetables on top to keep it cold, but not too cold. And you don't want the vegetables hitting the, the, the ice because that will ruin them. Right. That's a very complex problem when you think about delivering yeah. fresh food in a box. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and we're expecting to keep those maybe three or four or five days beyond when the box gets here. And so they're at, and there, I'm sure they're getting just-in-time deliveries. That's not like they can store up those fresh vegetables for time. So they also have shipping coming in to have to deal with that. I am sure, much like a, an Amazon warehouse that has robots moving around, I'm sure they've got these very complex ordering, delivery, just-in-time delivery, packing, what you put in there, what you offer. Like, your, your, even your menus might make a difference on what you're delivering and what are the vegetables that go better during this season. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty amazing, pretty complex problem. Well, and I think this week too, you know, uh, having the massive polar vortex dip last week where, you know, the Midwest was frozen out with wind chills up to negative 75, right? So perfect example of an unpredictable sudden weather climate change that, um, would impact those decisions. Well, in areas south, we're colder than areas to the north, which yeah. is, you know, uh, again, you know, thinking about traffic patterns and how people are moving things and where are people and how is transportation going to be affected? The city of Chicago is having to, to actually put fuel and burn their track switches just to get their local transportation working. Um, and, and so um, those... We, we take all that for granted, but it's an incredibly, we're going to talk about AI here in a few minutes. It's an, it's an incredibly compact, complex process that gets harder and harder. And yet the consumer's expectation, Christian, is that, like, I don't care. Get my freaking box to me. Like, I ordered this box. So why can't it, you know, I'm expecting it on Saturday. Su Sunday is not a delivery for FedEx. Uh, so I'm going to wait till Monday and depending on where it gets stuck in the process means that could come Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Well, I have perishable goods in there and, yep. uh, you know, and I'm planning some things around that as well. So it's, you know, in those, I think as we've gotten more specialized with the ability to deliver these things just in time, uh, it gets to be a more complex problem because the weather doesn't take a day off. I mean, it, it keeps doing its thing and, uh, and there's a lot to think about. So um, pretty cool as we look through this offering and I've been kind of listening for it, listening for news around it as, as yeah. you and I have talked about that. I, I think the key point is that they're making these ground station pieces more easily and cheaper. You don't have to have the hardware to have a ground station to get data off of a satellite. Is that the correct assumption? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really takes away uh, the customer's onus and having to have any hardware involvement beyond the, you know, whatever level of involvement they have in actually launching uh, the satellite that they want to use. Yeah. Well, no, I was, uh, so I, I'm, you know, I'm glad we kind of worked through this because when you first started talking about this, I was thinking like, is this so I can have like a satellite transceiver that I could, <laughs> yeah. I can go no, outside? No, not exactly. <laughs> okay. No, no, very different. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a good explanation of that. I, I was kind of thinking like, so can I set up my own, you know, satellite services? 
Yeah. No. And uh, think think of good. Well, congratulations on getting that. This year's that announcement that we sent folks to Vegas to be a part yeah. of that. That was a big deal. That was a big event and kind of took over Vegas. And oh yeah, I don't know, like a million announcements. I think. <laughs> Amazon yeah, it, put out. It's 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 dizzying. I mean, uh, it's the pace at which Amazon releases new features and services for its customers is just really exciting. Um, yeah. the, and you know, the energy it's at, at an event like reInvent is definitely an incredibly unique experience uh, from a conference perspective, right? Because you have a lot of people who go to the reInvent conference are some of you know. AWS's largest customers, enthusiasts, I mean, from all different swaths of of folks who are interested in adopting and using cloud technologies. So there's definitely a distinct energy that makes up that event. Um, and it's really exciting for um, engineers and developers to see how customers react to the to the features and services that are being launched every year. So and it, and it comes at a at a somewhat convenient time, right? It's right after that thanksgiving lull but it's um before the onslaught of the december and uh holiday season so uh it is this kind of nice flash pan moment for the company to really showcase all the new things that are going on well very cool we hadn't heard from you in a while and we knew you were working on stuff that was important great that we actually get to see some of it It, and it shows up um showed up at the conference and then uh, there's been some talk about it in some niche markets. So congratulations on your work yeah. to that. And uh, and thanks for sharing uh, what you can share uh, about yeah, it. You bet. We uh, Tonight, we want to talk a little, spend the next half hour or so. You know, I've been watching a lot of Sunday night football. And Chris Collinsworth all the time says, yeah, we're going to do AI by by Amazon. I think I'm pretty sure that's their, that's their branding on that. And so they do this probability, like, okay, this guy's this quarterback's going to go back and throw it in. Of course, that's powered by AI. Everybody is saying AI, right? And I think yeah. we've done a couple shows we're talking about this. And uh, I'm not sure AI is always what people think it is, nor do I think the average guy is necessarily totally understanding. Like, all of a sudden, everything has become AI. So maybe we can clear sure. up. A little bit of that tonight. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, so usually every year at the end uh, of of the calendar, year, Cyber Frontiers has done this kind of outlook of where we where we were, where we are, and where we're heading. Um, I kind of rephrased it tonight as the the buzzword express. And when I think about the key topics we've we've talked about. Um, and actually going back to 2016, I, I in the show's description, you'll see I start with 2017. But, you know, in 2016, I really think about it, the age of Internet of Things, IPv6-like technologies being kind of dominant talk, right? How is the Internet of Things going to take over my life? Um, then in 2017, it was the year of cyber. This was the height of data breaches and kind of companies being very reactive to very well-measured and known cybersecurity problems that uh, are fixable. Um, huge run-up in ransomware attacks in 2017. It was just definitely a year where a lot of good things and a lot of bad things happened in cyber. And so everyone was talking cyber, cyber, cyber. Um, last year, I think we really got onto the trend of machine learning and specifically trying to educate users on what machine learning is and what machine learning isn't. Um, but I think that has lost the captive audience of most folks in the 
advertising world. And so here we are in the year of 2019 with artificial intelligence because it sounds bigger and sexier. Um, I will be clear that I think we have not left 2018, meaning um, in the academic scientific sense, when we talk about AI in 2019, we're really talking about the fact that everyone is implementing machine learning. Um, so there's not some massive advancement in AI that you missed the memo on between Q4 of last year and Q1 of this year. Um, I, what is happening, however, I think is really well described um, in, a, in a quote from uh, The Verge. So The Verge did an article recently on um, the state of artificial intelligence in 2019. Uh, and it says, quote, uh, Kai-Fu Lee, a venture capitalist and former AI researcher, describes the current moment as the age of implementation. Um, again, the age of implementation, one where technology starts spilling out of the lab and into the world. So I think that description highlights perfectly what we're seeing, right? We've had this growth curve where folks are becoming more comfortable with what machine learning is and what it means for them. And particularly, not just the average guy, but companies, right? Every company that is in the business of dealing or working with their data is now taking very serious looks at how machine learning is going to inform their products, their business decisions, their marketing strategies, Um it is becoming the very tenant. And so I think folks have heard me say on this show before, uh, data is the new bacon, right? And it is so much um, the truth to that statement continues to live on to this day because the success of machine learning is rooted in the success of how much people are rolling in their own data, right? Um, they smell their data. They live and breathe their data. They, they collect massive gobs and amounts of data, uh, data truly is the new bacon. And so none of the machine learning algorithms and the mathematical and statistical methods can really show their magic without a lot of data going into them like a fire hose. And so what we're seeing in 2019 is an acknowledgement of, hey, we're in the age of implementation. And I think what that means for us is now consumers are starting to see the fruits of matured machine learning technology. They're mm -hmm. seeing it in their Alexa devices. They're seeing it in Siri. They're seeing it in their Google Home. They're seeing it in their thermostat. They're seeing it in their door locks. They're seeing it in their car. They're seeing it when they shop online or shop with their voice or shop with clicking a dot on the wall. Um, there are just countless examples where we are automating our daily routines and companies are becoming very comfortable with putting um, smart assistants, for lack of a better word, like the, the notion of the smart assistant and really the way that smart assistants have caught on, right? Google claims that a billion devices use its... Um, uh, smart onboard technology, which includes all their Android phones. So you got to caveat that number a little bit. Um, Amazon has publicly stated that they have sold a hundred million plus Alexa enabled devices. Um, and so we're talking on the order of billions of devices now in the home that reflect this kind of smart assistive technology and people quickly confuse that with, oh, I now have AI. Um, Alexa is now an AI. Uh, Siri is now an AI. Google Home is now an AI. And 
it kind of goes to this effect of like, well, what do we, again, what do we mean by AI, right? Is it this notion that I, as the human, feel like I'm getting some human smart advantage from a device? Or is it the more academic rigorous definition of the device has natural mechanisms of learning, generating thought and ideation, et cetera, in the way that human intelligence works. Um, and so we're seeing this interesting social paradigm along this journey where because advertising and consumerism has caught up in this age of implementation, AI is now the word that will will carry the banner into 2019 for talking about the technologies that we've talked about in the show for the last two to three years. It is kind of the, just the culmination wrapper around everything that we've been doing. Um, but I think where we're starting to see change actually is in the social reaction to AI. And again, I, I'm going to, I'm going to now officially adopt the term consumerism AI and real AI. If I mean real AI, I mean in some effect um, growing closer to the quest to understand how machines can think like humans do or like biological structures do. Um, when I say consumerism AI, I really mean advanced machine learning or statistical techniques combined with fuse, fused data that allows companies to do smart things for its customers. Um, in the world of consumerism AI, though, we're seeing a social reaction because now folks are seeing it, I think, for the first time in their everyday life, right? Like for several years there between, I don't know, 2009 to 2017, you could ignore that Siri was a thing or you could ignore that Alexa is a thing, right? Now it's just like in your face, Smart devices are everywhere. Your refrigerator talks to you and asks you what you want for dinner, right? Like we're getting there. It's really creepy. We're getting there. And so there's this social stigma associated with what happens when AI performs badly. We haven't talked about that a lot on this show. We've talked about what it can do for you. We have not talked about all the ways it goes wrong. And I love seeing the social dynamic of this play out because if you look at Three of the ads that aired in the Super Bowl um, Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, February 3rd, you would have noticed that a unbelievable amount of the content of those AI ads was focused on people's fears about AI, right? It's going to order the wrong thing. I'm not going to be able to hear it. Um, my dog is going to order 20 bags of food off of Amazon.com. You know, there were just all these different social stigmas playing out about all the ways AI goes wrong. And at first blush, it's kind of hilarious, right? Um, but I think people are really starting to get a little bit freaky beaky with how we're seeing these technologies uh, culminate so quickly. Uh, and I like to compare it um, in many respects, you know, people thought, you know, the cyber age was, you know, granting them more access to the data. Well, now they're kind of pretty comfortable with the fact that their data is feeding this next evolution of consumerism AI. And, you know, some respect, we've, again, gotten better at some of the privacies and controls uh, associated with the realm. Um, but I, I think we're reaching this point where folks are confused, right? The average guy doesn't know what the difference is between consumer AI and real AI. And, and more to the point, um, 
it may be an enabler for us to start becoming lazy. I don't know yet. Um, as we start to continue to work out some of those kinks, right? Like, is the age going to be dead where people are super sleuth skilled at writing Google search terms to get exactly what they want? Because now they're just going to lazily talk into a device and get all all the stuff they were looking for. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely at a place now that as consumerism drives the narrative of this hype curve, more people are going to be coming out with AI predictions, right? Like I laugh when I see uh, political news channels bringing on AI experts from academia to talk, right? Like you wouldn't have seen that last year. Now we see it as like a, a staple of Sunday morning news to have Dr. Whoever come and talk about what AI is going to do for us, right? Because people, people are, they want to know what it's going to do. They want to know what it's not going to do or what it's going to do adversarially. And then we have other folks like Elon Musk that are like, the singularity is here in a year. And um, I have people in my family who are like this, by the way, who think, you know, within two years, um, we're going to reach the AI singularity event and um, have to make real tough decisions. And I, you know, in one respect, I can laugh, but in another respect, we have, you know, figures like Elon Musk saying these things. And so I think a lot of people misunderstand because there's this fundamental misunderstanding between consumerism AI and real AI, folks cannot kind of sort out the realistic likelihood that it goes completely off the rails and becomes a singularity in two years, right? People don't really fully appreciate yet, even though the devices are getting smarter and sexier and cheaper and more enabled, we're nowhere close, my opinion, to cracking that nut of getting towards that, unless some massive breakthrough were to happen, we've somewhat plateaued. And that is the driver behind this age of implementation, right? Because we've plateaued and what the latest cutting edge thing is we can do, we're focusing on refining the methods and making them cheaper and making them more scalable of the things that we know that we can do to set the foundation for that next climb up. And so I very much think 2019, I absolutely agree that we are in the age of implementation. And what we're going to end up seeing now is companies compete over the refinement of the implementations of their data, their learning algorithms, their devices, their internet of things. It's all going to very much converge. And I believe within the next five to 10 years, Marks, your average guy is, is going to become less and less concerned with the cybersecurity elements, right? Uh, very much, I think customers are starting to get to a point where they're, they're going to take, they're going to evaluate each service they use as it is, right? And they're going to build or lose trust based on the history of how that service works. And that's it the plumbing and the inner details and the higher or the lower security is up to the nerds like myself to go figure out. Um, and so very much consumerism's attention is going to span from, is my bank account going to be zero tomorrow? Am I going to be a part of a data breach? Am I going to lose my social? Those are going to, those are in the rear view mirror now. And now I think customers are looking at, well, how do these AI devices really work? And like, what does it mean that I have, a device that 
tells me the news I can go shop on. Like, where's the line between what these things do and can't do? So you're going to, you're going to see the consumers trying to put boundaries around what these technologies can and can't do for them. And I think that's going to be very holistic of the news that you read over the next year. Christian, what do you, what do you think is the best of when we think about machine learning? Yeah. You you have another great quote in here uh, from Benedict Evans. I think it's out of that same uh, verge article. He says, um, uh, he compares, or another VC, he's another VC strategist, Benedict Evans. He says, compares machine learning to relational databases. Now, I I cut my teeth in IT in the era of relational databases. Like, I remember the day when we were talking about data warehousing and how relational databases were going to save the day. And that was the way you did it. And, you know, Oracle grew up in that. I mean, it made its billions, yeah. right, on relational database. And he says, comparing uh, machine learning to relational databases, a type of enterprise software that made fortune in the 90s and revolutionized whole industries, but is so mundane, our eyes probably glazed over just reading those two words. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it will become, don't you think, especially as we think about real AI, it gets kind of blurry for a lot of people. And they're like, oh, it's so complex and so complicated. Most people go, I don't really want to know the details. Just do it. You know, just just go and do it. Do you do you think we get to that point at some at some point here? I mean, I, it, it's hard to believe AI. The word AI would get old, but it's going to become one of those. We know it will reach a natural conclusion, and people will get sick of hearing it, and there'll be a new buzzword that shows up. Whatever that happens to be, maybe you know what it is already. Yeah, I, I have a feeling this one will be like machine learning had a, li- a shelf life for consumers of about a year, and I think mm. AI will. I think it, it has a good chance of making it at least two years. Cyber made it two to four years realistically yeah. in the consumer's eyes. Um, and I see AI being in similar standing because I think it's so it, because machine learning was that subset implementation of what I call consumerism AI. Um, there's a lot of ways that, that term can pivot, which means we're giving a lot of latitude to people who um, market and drive these buzzword curves to pivot when it starts to wear off. So they'll be able to, I think they'll be able to reuse this one for a little bit longer. Um, I don't know. The real question is what consumers will call it in the long run. Um, And I think the word smart enabled devices is probably going to be there for a while because I don't know, apparently people think computers have been dumb for the last 30 years, which blows (laughs) my mind. Apparently now you're smart if there's a voice associated with it. Um, Well, but the evolution of that was phone and then smartphones, right? That, and then smart devices, right? And so it, it kind of, it kind of had this where smart kind of get, get, Got and maybe AI will be in the same spot where it will continue to get attached to the front end of things. Think how long the word smart made it. Think how long the word robots made it, right? And and how robotics, robots and robot uh, robotics captured our attention. And then even that kind of fell away. Now we saw a resurgence of it in advertising during the Super Bowl, as we just you were talking about that. Do you think? You know, it seems like AI, machine learning, and robots go together. It seems like that's the natural conclusion, you know, to what we're doing here. Do do robots come back? Does this thing come, does AI come back in the form of robots as opposed to 
today when we think of AI, we think of something being in the cloud and decisions being made for me on my Waze app so that I get the exact right route to go or it tells me in real time where to go. I think most of the consumers think of AI being that today, but is its natural conclusion in robots? I, I think it will be, yeah. So I, I think in some respects, the device medium right now is this thing that sits on my kitchen island or in my pocket or as a Bluetooth device, whatever it is, yeah, right? My car. But yeah. It, yeah. I, I think we'll naturally head to that logical conclusion of the device will be this humanoid figure. Um, and I think that's when you'll see the term robotics reconnect into its home of this artificially intelligent, smart assistant. Right. And right now we use the word assistant, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it is, I think a fair characterization, but the, the, the terms will very much be weaving in and out as we determine what the medium is for the smart whatever. So like exactly like you said, we went from phone to device to humanoid is probably where we're headed, um, at which point robotics will become a big talking point again because folks will want to know how it can walk as well as they do mm -hmm. and you know all the advancements that are likely to come in the next 10 years with robotics. And there's, there's two pieces of that, right? There's like the, the brain logistics, which I leave to AI, but there's a whole separate subcomponent of the, what I call the like physiological elements that they're trying to reproduce in robotics, the walking and the, and the gait and the, the momentum and speed. Like there's a lot of things that, yes, they're using AI and data to figure those things out and to get the, the robot to learn those mo motions but i see those subcategories of robotics will be split into all the things below the neck and then everything above the neck um and i think that's when the word will start to gain popularity again is when we're at that point where we can literally pivot between having a conversation about the two yeah well i i think certainly we see a lot of test beds going on when we think about gigantic warehouses of moving things around. I think I did, we did some interesting and did we talk about that here or maybe home gadget geeks where, or maybe I just was reading about it. You know, Elon is building this gigantic warehouse in, in uh, Nevada to build the batteries and to kind of put uh, all his hopes and dreams together from a manufacturing um, standpoint and there. I don't know. A third of that thing is maybe built, but his intentions are, um, for most of that to be completely automated. I think that's a huge difference between automation and manufacturing. In other words, building a machine that builds other machines and does the same things over and over and over again, and an autonomous vehicle that can actually keep us safe by helping us make the right decisions at the right time, or an autonomous assistant at home that can adapt and and know when to start the laundry or know when to start the vacuum or know when to and we see little pieces of this this is the amazing thing now is i think now more than ever we're seeing the little tiny components we got little robot vacuum cleaners we got little robot lawnmowers they're getting you know they're getting helpful in those kinds of ways we're seeing kitchen devices getting smarter and smarter the, the trick, though, is many of them are just doing and, and viewing repetitive items and aren't really that smart. They're just keeping us from doing things that, you know, either either from being stolen or from 
not mowing the same place over and over and over again or going into somebody's yard or killing the dog yeah. uh, in the process. And I, and I still think there's a ton of space. I still haven't really seen with the exception of maybe like uh, I, I saw this, uh, this demo where these, these two hands that there are or these two arms with hands that are on this in this kitchen setting and you can put down ingredients and it will begin based on a recipe. It will begin to grab those, open them, pour the right things in there and begin to cook. Yeah. That. that by itself isn't what's important. It's when things go wrong, like what separates the mach- the human from the machine. By the way, I don't like your word humanoid that you used. I, mean, I don't <laughs> think we're ever going to use too much. Terms. No, it does. Much. I mean, it creeps fair. us out, right? That's fair. Yeah. It creeps us out. Well, you see that. Yeah. yeah. Super Bowl phobia. <laughs> no, totally. You start kind of going, yikes. Yeah. But if I had two arms in my kitchen and I could say, and I could say, you know, I'm feeling like pork cutlet tonight. And it just, it goes, oh, is that what you want? And you say, yes. And it's able to assemble things. And in the midst of something going wrong, you know, it runs out of something or it drops something, it being able to adapt. I think that's the real genius. That's the real AI in this is not being able to assemble when everything's perfect, being able to assemble it. But how does it adapt when things aren't perfect? And man, I have just not seen anybody do that really well yet. I mean, maybe it's out there. I'm not in all spaces, but that seems to separate. Maybe we see a little bit different of that in Google's operations of their vehicles, right? They they do have, you know, they have operated hundreds of thousands, if not millions, probably tens of millions of miles now with very little, not perfect, but very little accent. So I don't know. Respond to that a little bit, Christian. Yeah, I, I think very much this hits on the topic we've visited on the show before, which is that there are going to be specializations, right? So for a very long time, it's not going to be... When we talk about the all-in-one devices today in terms of like Siri, Alexa, Google, etc., um, we mean all-in-one in the sense that their knowledge retrieval or the skills you can install on them or whatever are very encompassing of a wider range of things, but it's not going to, you know, just because you place it in your kitchen doesn't mean it's going to start cooking you chicken cutlets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're bringing out is that for probably the next several decades, we're going to see a lot of really amazing technology come out that is advanced in its nature but it is specific to form and function, meaning that we will, ref- again, as we continue to refine the technologies and the capabilities, we will focus on building devices that specialize at being really good at a particular thing. So really good at cooking in the kitchen or really good at analyzing um, medical conditions or really good at making sure you get up in the morning, making sure you get your, your daily flash briefing, making sure that you remember when to go um, pick up your groceries, right? There's going to be those kind of things, like the consumery things. Um, I, th- I think it will be a tall order, and whoever does it first will be obviously worth trillions of dollars to have a device that can truly encompass humanoid walks in the door, and it's it's a prototype it's commander data's great 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 grandfather right um we're not there yet Uh, and so i think the answer to that continues to be we will we will provide 
learning models that allow machines to get very good at specialized areas. And I think that's really the way that the technology will force the, pl the, the frontier to move forward is when one area gets really good at its specialization, typically the lessons learned from that one area may be applicable to how we've done implementations and other types of systems. And that in turn moves the whole frontier of capability forward through disjoint devices. I think it's kind of ironic that in this quote, when we talk about how we've kind of already gotten maybe blurry eyed around machine learning, and yet the learning that is happening right now is the most important learning when we think about the future of AI. The way we learn to make these models work, the way we, and when I say we, I really mean to, to make the machines learn uh, the way these models work and how they process them. And, and, and we're, we're, I think we're still a ways um, away from in, in, in maybe in some specialized super secret locations somewhere, it's way more advanced than than we know about in uh, some of those things of the getting done. But I still in the consumer world, I still don't see the smartest products. I'm still yelling at my at my Amazon assistant. Mm. I'm still frustrated by Siri because she can't get me from A to B without shouting out her or paying it eight times to get it done. What was a little creepy today, though, I, uh, Christian, while we've been apart, I picked up the Apple Watch okay. and have been messing with that. And today, jokingly, I, I just I pull it up here and started talking to it. And I, I think I told it to set an alarm or remind me on Saturday to do something. And I and I was ha 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 and I put my hand out and it spoke back to me. It's like, hey, I got your alarm set for 1030 or I got your reminder set for 1030 on Saturday. I was like, holy crap, it worked. Like, I didn't even, like, I didn't touch anything. I just held it up, threw my shirt, talked to it. Um, and so every once in a while, we see these glimpses of, and whether that's voice recognition, an important skill for these things to be able to know, um, or some of the pieces that we see, you know, our physical hardware is still super clumsy. Like, yep. I still don't see a lot of great robot things. Uh, that really uh, work as well as we think we do. But we've made some great advances in vehicles. I mean, the the technology right. that Google has put into, I just think like even the eyesight functionality that's in my wife's Subaru is really good, like in getting better. Yeah. And think of all that data, to your point just a few minutes ago, think of all that data that we pull in that is helping learn, train, educate, improve the models. And uh, I think it's just going to take time of actual usage to be able to get those those models smart enough to do what what we want them to do. I also think we're going to new we're going to need to invent some type of new hardware to make this work. Yeah. I just I can't see the current architecture dominated by Intel. We're, you know, we're we're continuing to put it on silicon. I, I would think we're going to need a different. We're going to need to rethink this, like the relational database rethought the way we did data. Um, I, I think we're just going to need something different. I don't, I don't know if we're there yet. Maybe, again, maybe in the super secret dark corners of the world, somebody's working on that. But certainly you can't go down to Best Buy or Fry's and pick up that kind of hardware today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think we're definitely going to see new comfort levels reached with these devices because I... It's, it's a classic example of there's no going back, right? Um, we're, we're headed down a place where the devices could substantially change in form or function, but the 
concept of what the devices can do is going to stick with folks. And so at that juncture, I think consumers will actually play a relatively large role here in telling companies where their boundaries are, right? And we saw this a bit with uh, cybersecurity, right? I mean, folks eventually actually took to this, you know, figurative, of course, took to the street with pitchforks and said, no, Facebook, I don't want you using my data like that, right? And the company paid a price and they adapted and they changed, in theory, um, the way their product uh, uses that data. Now, of course, it came out this week that um, Apple revoked um, Facebook's publication license because they were using their enterprise certificates to basically give people $20 a month to install a program for Facebook research studies that literally gives root level device to your phone, raw packet captures, like the whole nine yards to intimately understand the data and trends of users. Now, I guess there was some implication that they were, you know, willing participates participants in doing this, but regardless, it was a flagrant violation of Apple's policies. And then I read this morning that now there's internal chaos at Facebook because their iPhones, all of their actual work applications that they use to help run Facebook, none of them will, they all refuse to launch on their iPhones because when Apple revoked that license, apparently it also was whatever the same trust authority was to deal with their internal published apps. And so they find themselves once again in a, in a quagmire of um, distrust. But I think to get back on message here, it's going to be very similar with these smart devices where regardless of whether or not the conversation is about privacy or about presentation, which I think becomes much more important here. This is something that social media never had a struggle with, right? Because all the different ways in which we went from web 1.0 to 1.2.0, usually, yeah, some people didn't like certain UIs, but like at the end of the day, it's a presentation on a screen, right? The screen isn't coming to life, right? Whereas now they're in our rooms, we have augmented reality, we may have humanoid looking figures, right? So, um, how the presentation of the technology is presented to consumers, I think will be a big point for consumers to weigh in on. Um, So we're going to see, again, now that we're in this age of implementation piece, I think from 2019 through 2024, 2025, companies are going to be gathering a lot of data about where people really want to see this technology in their life and where they really don't want to see this technology in their life. Uh, and that should say a lot. Well, and you, you mentioned these inner squabbles between the big five, right, that are doing this. And they, they all really want each other's throats at times. They, they yeah. just want, you know, because this stuff is only going to happen. I think we have to remember, too, this thing, this stuff is only going to happen when consumers are willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so there still has to be, you know, I, I think we we have these images of the of the Clone Wars from Star Wars where we have some you know, some evil empire creating these armies of robots for some reason. And we, we do have to remember at the end of the day, someone has to pay pay for. And the technology today is all the little bits are spread out around these companies that really don't like each other. And so they're doing things to sabotage each other 
in the, you know, in the scheme of, well, I'm going to remove this and we're going to do that and make sure you don't get that and this. And it slows that all down. I mean, there's kind of, it's kind of some natural breaks kind of to make sure there is some checks and balances in there because we've got these companies that have a perf pro, uh, uh, for, let me say that again, for profit. I don't know why I couldn't say that a for profit, um, mentality. And that, kind of creates a little bit of uh, um, a little bit of accountability in the system. We see movies where you get some brilliant genius who's creating his own thing on an island somewhere where it's locked in. I forget the name of that movie. And the thing eventually escapes and locks him in the house. Um, and I don't know. You know, you kind of go, yeah, I guess plausible. But really, in the scheme of things, we've got these big companies out there who are developing these things. And at the end of the day, I have shareholders are responsible to and need to do something to make a profit. And so you think about an autonomous vehicle, Google, uh, Google wants to make that work, um, but it's going to have to sell cars. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have to get consumers who are going to be, to your point here, consumers are going to kind of drive that adoption. Will they accept it or not? And I think it just depends. Uh, would voice assistants have made it in 1997 when we first had the internet? Let's just say, for whatever reason, we hooked voice assistants up first. Well, shoot, I remember trying to get somebody on a just on a uh, video conference call on ICQ, which was very available at the time. You could do video. This would have been ninety eight, ninety nine. Easily, all the protocols were there. You could get it done. Nobody wanted to be on the video. Like, yeah. hey, you want to? You no, 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 no. Like, I could not get anybody to do video. I was so excited. In eighty four, I'd seen this movie, Total Recall. And Arl Schwarzenegger, you know, he wakes up in this, he's a different person. And this guy says, go down to the phone. And so he goes down there and a video pops up on this video phone. Well, in 1984, we didn't have any of those things. It was a, it was a, you know, it wasn't rotary, but it was yeah. push button phones. Right. And I remember thinking someday we're going to get there. In 1998, I was ready to be there, but nobody else wanted to do this. They're like, hell no. Like, no. And yet today we don't even think twice. You and I are doing this. We have podcasts and, and everybody's doing it. The, me, the mainstream media is doing it. My mom will get on a video call. Nobody blinks an eye. I think sometimes the consumer just has to be ready. And you can have the technology that is there. But l- going back to the, the humanoid comment, you create something and call it a humanoid today. People flip. They're going to be like, no, shut that thing down. That's, yeah. that's scary. So I think that plays into the piece as well of like, what are, what is, what's the market willing and not what are we willing to accept as, as norm? I think that's part of it. Are we willing to pay for it? I think that's a big, it's an even bigger part because that just funds it. If we're not willing to pay sure. for it, it kind of goes, it kind of goes away or it doesn't, or it's delayed in being, you know, and coming out as a product. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, I love the analogy that you give of the video conferencing. Cause I think most folks forget that now, right. Especially like the generation of millennials to them, that's a, that's a mm-hmm. foreign concept. Right. Um, I think in weird ways, the analog was people's growing level of comfort with social media. Right. Like we went from, having nothing about our personal lives available in some public form to being comfort with 
being comfortable with like standing in your kitchen and taking a picture of the waffles that you're going to have for breakfast and saying, Hey guys, (laughs) which maple syrup should I use? Like it was a bizarre time. Um, I'm not sure if we've ever pulled back from that, to be honest. I, I actually think on another tangent that we are starting to burn out of it with social media. I think, I think we have hit the peak of what it can offer. And now people are starting to pull back a little bit and realize, Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> there's, there's still like this atmosphere with oxygen and all these other things that happen in non pixelated settings that I should be concerned with in my life. Um, and I, I think this is why like in conjunction with privacy issues, but even without, even with a flawless privacy record or whatever, I think folks are just getting very tired of, the communication norms that we've created with these technologies, right? People become a lot more comfortable with what they can or can't say or do in a way that the technology has enabled some darker parts of humanity as well as more positive. And I think we're going to see some of those same things with AI, right? Um, Especially with ethical debates around, um, you know, this is a PG rated show, so we'll keep it as such, but huge amount of conversation around um, sex doll robots. It is a an area we haven't talked about on this show, but the uh, level of demand is surprising. The level of realism is surprising. Um, some might argue whether it's good, bad, otherwise, and different. So I'll leave that conversation off the table for today. But um, I think it's highly unexpected that we got there as fast as we did, right? Just like it was highly unexpected how fast the internet ballooned into the social empire that it is now. And I think when you you always have to multiply that by the scope of what the technology can do, right? So social media is a scope technology. The internet is a larger scope technology because it's a broader medium. It's a framework. Um, AI is a pretty huge flipping framework of possibilities. And so um, the scope creep is so huge here that, and the complexity is so huge that it just by nature means that it is going to grow organically at a rate that we haven't seen with these other things, right? If AI is the next big internet and the internet grew as fast as it is and is still exponentially growing, now you put another layer on top of that, we're potentially looking at like the greatest exponential growth of a technology for decades to come. Um, And I think that we're going to start to see some pretty wild stuff that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, because it was scoped, people could handle it because it was like one thing at a time to handle or focus or think about. Now we're going to be juggling multiple balls of comfort or discomfort in the air at once. And it's going to be a wild ride for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking with one of my interns uh, today at lunch and I said, you know, I kind of wish I was your age because I, I, I'm going to, miss because you know at some point this is all going to end uh for me and uh and i wish i'd be around 30 more years uh to see um as a technology junkie uh this kind of stuff excites me you know and i think about some of the great things that are coming to help us to help us be 
human and to help us in the, some of the things that we do. I mean, there have been some really good Christian. There have been some really good. I, I know we always pick on the bad things, but the world is a smaller place because of all of this. Like the chance, the fact that I even know you is the Internet's fault. Right. That doesn't happen ever if we don't have the Internet. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, you know, um, it, it, it's one of those things that has enabled some great things to have. I get to talk to people from all around the world. I get to deploy a product uh, in Clifton Strengths that can help individuals be better versions of themselves and help their life be better, a better thing. And I can deploy that by sitting at a desk in Omaha, Nebraska, talking on this thing called YouTube, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so there's some amazing, I just think there's some amazing things we get to do. The community we have, I think of uh, Joe and John and Brian and Ken um, out in, in, in uh, yeah, uh, Ryan, I think I mentioned him already out in the chat room. We don't, we never would have this, this community of ours that we get together in and talk about and encourage one another either driving in our cars on these phone devices that are Bluetooth streaming to speakers in a hands-free environment. And we, you know, we are entertained no matter where we're at in the world. It's pretty freaking amazing. And the, those pieces that were used to be really, really hard to do uh, 10, 15 years ago, RSS was not what it is today. We didn't have the ability to just download and put it on our phone or stream it whenever. Today, I don't even think about it. When I'm driving on the phone, I'm listening to a podcast. I don't care if I've downloaded it or not. I just hit play. It will download it for me if it's if it's not there and it starts instantly. Like I, I not only do I have access, but I have instant access um, to this. So there's some amazing, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to lose the fact. I think there's some amazing things coming that if used and will be used, we've chose to use all this stuff for good. Yeah. You know, think about it as a community. Our goal has always been to use this stuff for good. We got some great communities. We don't have, you know, we don't have trolls in it. We've got great people. I would, I'd spend weekends and I have spent weekends with these guys at meetups and such, um, or hanging out at people's houses, you know, grilling fatties and, you know, enjoying time together, right? A beer. Uh, that's pretty great. And I, and I, I guess I hope that as we, continue to see this technology moving forward, I think a lot of it as it moves into this mainstream is, well, hopefully, and I think it will, will change our lives to be better, better humans. Yeah. I think it has I mean, to. Yeah. I mean, and if pork fatties are involved, I'm all in. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what else happens. The pork fatties involved, I'm in. <laughs> it was so good. That was so good, John. Yeah. He gives the thumbs up. Yeah. And so, yeah, and he, John reminds me, you know, we still have 30 years. And yeah, but I wish I had 30 more beyond that. I mean, I want to, Christian, I want to live, and maybe we will. <laughs> maybe the robotics will find its way. We're, we're not seeing that necessarily making its way into healthcare, which I think it needs to. Like, I think that's really the place when we think about machines that can help people. Uh, I, I think that and extend our life, I think that's an area where it's not making as much progress as we think it, or as I think it could. Uh, again, I don't know all the secret stuff that's going on behind the scenes, but yeah, definitely. Well, I'm going to need some cholesterol medicine after that pork fatty. That is, <laughs> that is, for sure. I just, I'm going to need, what I really want is just some robots that are little nanobots that are yeah. constantly cleaning out my, like I can eat as much 
pork fatty as I want. And, uh, and it just, it's constantly taking the cholesterol out of my veins. Christian, any, <laughs> on that note, That's speaking wrap, of Super man. Bowl, anything else? Definition of a wrap. You know, when you're wrapping oh. up with pork fatties, like, woo. Dude, it was we, super we've, good. We've come off the hill. It was super good. Well, we'll remind everyone. It's good to have you back. We'll we don't guarantee any of these things, but we'll shoot for another two weeks or so and see if we can we we can pull another one of these off. If if you haven't uh, subscribed yet, get that done. Don't forget the average guy.tv powered by Maple Grove Partners. Really, really important. By the way, the lights don't stay on and on the average guy.tv if they're not powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high speed hosting and super high speed hosting. From people that you know are water uh, water powered, I should say. Uh, from from people that you know and you trust. For more, for more information, you can visit maplegrovepartners.com. We always welcome your questions or comments. If you got a topic you like Christian to cover, let's be honest. I don't really know anything about these things. Christian's the brain of the operations. Send us an email, Jim at theaverageguy.tv, but really send it to Christian. Christian at theaverageguy.tv, and uh, we will he will consider that um, as we do future shows. We know you enjoy this because I get some great feedback from you guys uh, as you're listening to it. I know it's sporadic, but uh, that's just the way it works. Get past it and get used to it. Um, actually, I think, Christian, we've just kept everybody who's okay with it. Anybody that wasn't. You're just, out. You're, they're just nuts. That's perfectly okay. Don't forget to share it. If you found an episode particularly interesting, uh, spread it around the office. Talk to other people about it. We appreciate that um, as well. We'll do it all over again the next time we're together. Thanks for those of you who came out live. And with that, we'll say goodnight. Goodnight.